0: Just a quick reminder that I do now have a second podcast called Track Nerds, where I have guests on to discuss travel, exercise, and movies and TV. Check it out. Okay, enjoy the show. So, Downfall. This is a movie I had seen in the theater in 04 or 05, right around the time it came out, and... I didn't remember remember a lot of the details, but I just remembered it was heavy, and yeah. that that held true. This this is this is a heavy film, and I would say an important film. Yes. And jumping ahead to the criticism, I actually wanted to mention right off from the right off the bat because I I think these thoughts are kind of inescapable, but I kind of want to put a stop to them at the beginning. So a criticism of this film is that it humanizes Hitler. It takes, you know, someone considered one of the most evil people in history and shows you his human side. And one of the creators kind of countered that criticism by saying as much as we want real life monsters to be, you know, twirling their fingers and going, woo-ha-ha-ha, ha, ha. that's not reality. And he kind of made a note that evil often just shows up your door with a smile. Yes. And we definitely see the vile of Hitler in this film, but it's kind of right. subtext, and it's there. And yep. I would argue it's not make... If you're not a Nazi sympathizer, you do not find him sympathetic in this film. Correct, But you find him human, and that's an important right. distinction from the monster that's often just kind of portrayed. And it's easy to, I think it's easier to dismiss evil if you make it a character of itself. And so that's, again, why I think this is a very important film because, again, for those who haven't seen the movie, this film basically takes place in the last week or two of Hitler's life as World War II is winding down. And most of the movie is set in the bunker underground as the Battle of Berlin with the Russians invading is taking place above them, right. and the main character, or at least who we see most of the events through her eyes, not all. There's definitely things she wasn't witness to that we still see in the movie, but it's Hitler's personal secretary whose uh, name is uh, Trudel. I don't know. I don't know I how to say this the German way, but Trudel Jung. I, I don't know how they say or Trudel Jung. I, I, anyway, I don't know how to say it. German. We'll we'll call her, we'll call her Trottle. Trottle. Does that sound good? <laughs> Am I way off? I don't even. I really don't know. I
1: don't know. I I thought it was like Trudel or something. But okay, yeah, yeah, sounds well, more German to me.
0: Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. It's Str- Strudel Jenkins here. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: anyway. So well, they they even, even book in. Oh, I was gonna say they book in. Yeah, we we see most of the movie through her eyes, and they also book in the movie with interviews. With her, the actual her. the actual old woman, yes, right, like in her seventies or something.
0: Yes, the actual woman is interviewed at the beginning and end of the movie, reflecting on her time, and that kind of gives you, oh, I don't know if theme is quite the right word, but we're we're definitely seeing this world through the lens of her eyes, where she's just a naive young woman who has no interest in politics. Who wants a job. Yeah. And so we're then, so the movie is bookended by interviews right. with the real life woman, kind of reflecting on her time. And she'll kind of say, like, yeah, there's a reason I just kind of was blind to it all because you, you don't want to believe these evil things that are being said about your boss. And you're not seeing any of it. He's just this guy you work with who's maybe a little erratic at times, but he's not a monster from what you've seen. But the conclusion she kind of comes to is that she doesn't forgive herself while others may forgive herself. Right. She says basically the naivety of youth is not an excuse for me having been blind to the atrocities that my boss was committing even though I didn't find out about them until after and she doesn't forgive herself even if we as the audience I think ultimately do but it's it's not really make the movie's not really asking you to make that decision I don't think and I again
1: I I don't want to make it sound like I'm trying to like I'm um, you know like I I don't believe her but I I don't really believe her like if you're Hitler's personal secretary which I guess it shows she didn't she didn't even get hired till 1945 so maybe she did no no no, no. For, for, so. 40,
0: 42 she was hired
1: in 42 because the oh, war that's ended right. in 45 because right, the beginning yeah. of the movie is 42 yeah so I I don't think there's any way that you're Hitler's personal secretary and don't at least catch wind of bad stuff happening like more than just war and stuff
0: gotcha so even if she's not familiar with the actual execution of the jews she had to have known they were being rounded up and put in concentration camps
1: right or right at least know that they're not having a great time in nazi germany like i which and at the end of the movie she kind of she kind of says that she said you know i didn't really have an excuse being young is an excuse at the beginning of the movie, she really just wants to be secretary to Hitler because it's a prestigious job, right? You know, right. it's not like she's you know, oh, I want to be an awesome Nazi.
0: Would the argument in her defense be how was she then maybe any different than Americans who were okay with the Japanese concentration camps or internment camps? Is it maybe in her mind was she just viewing it like that that you had to have this per- certain percentage of the population that was kind of set aside and you could be. You know, given a pass for not, and again, obviously, we weren't exterminating the Japanese, but we were putting them in internment camps. Yeah, I, it's complicated. I don't know, but again, I think it's yeah. the whole point. I think it's yeah. the whole point is that this is complicated, and I, I, I'm not, I'm not defending any atrocities at all. I'm saying it's complicated, and we weren't in her situation, right? And again, obviously, this movie is not saying Hitler's innocent. It's, I mean, he is horrible. Goebbels is horrible, but this woman was naive. Right. Was she criminally liable for her, you know, her naivety? Maybe. You can make that argument, but sure. it's complicated. And that's kind of so the whole movie it just again, it's the the plot is is fairly straightforward. The the war effort is not going well. Obviously, we're starting with the Battle of Berlin, so the Russians are already basically right at Berlin. This is April. Sorry, it cuts to after she's hired in in yep. November or December of 1942 it cuts to April April 1945. I think April 20th. Yeah, specifically yeah. Hitler's birthday. Yes, it says yep. Hitler's 56th birthday. So, yeah, things aren't going well. And actually, the, so this is the movie, so I'm guessing a lot of people out there have not yet seen Downfall, but there's a much greater chance that they've seen the memes and videos or whatever parodying it. So, if you've seen all the the memes from a few years back where you have angry Hitler going off and then they subtitle it with something humorous right all the generals are nervous and the secretary's crying and everything and yes then, you know, they're giving yes. Hitler
1: bad news and he's yelling yeah
0: yes and I remember, I remember seeing one about like the KU Hawks or something like what do you mean we lost it's like we were the number one seed and it's like it's yeah. going all through all that and it's Hitler going up so anyway that iconic scene is about a half hour into this movie and it's when uh, Hitler's not only getting word that things aren't going well that specifically they're going so badly his generals have had no choice but to ignore his orders. And what we're kind yes. of seeing in the movie is that he's kind of has a loose grasp on reality and isn't willing to accept that the war effort isn't going well. And he's like, well, if these generals will just make these moves, we can turn everything around. And his other you know, officers were telling him they don't have the army left to even make the attempt. And he's like, make the attempt. And then, of course, it comes in. Of course, they didn't make the attempt because it would have been a suicide mission. And they just right. didn't have the numbers, or they were they were trapped, and he's trying to get this trapped unit to go out and attack another, you know, another point on the map. And it's like, it doesn't work that way, dude. We lost. And he's just right. unwilling to accept. He's kind of becoming seemingly mentally unhinged. And also, he
1: is refusing to leave Berlin and, you know, Correct. try and get out of there. A lot of his generals, I think, obviously they see the writing on the wall that the war is over, but they also see the writing on the wall like. Hey guys, after this war is over, like we're probably going to face some sort of tribunal, which they did. Right. For all the bad stuff that we've done. So maybe instead of, you know, doing all these suicide missions and hiding out in this bunker, maybe let's try and get out of Berlin, you know, while we
0: still can. There's kind of a mix of there's those that kind of want to like start ignoring Hitler and see the long-term game of how can we save ourselves? Then there's also those who are kind of loyal to the end and want to die with Hitler. And it it does kind of become apparent early on that, yes, Hitler's not willing to leave. He knows they're lost. But he also makes a big point of, I won't allow the Russians to take my body and make a spectacle of it. So I will kill myself. And Eva Braun, who he actually marries in the movie, which, again, is historically accurate. They married right before they yep. killed themselves. Then requests one of his officers to burn the body afterwards so that the Russians can't get it to used to to their ends or whatever. And that's kind of basically how it all goes down. And again, while we all have Trudel or whatever kind of going through in the background and just kind of, she's kind of aware of it and of course crying and stuff after her boss kills himself. Ugh.
1: Yeah, and it's kind of interesting. So in the uh, Imitation Game bonus episode, we talked about how that movie is like not at all historically accurate. And this is like almost the opposite. I was thinking the same thing, yes. Just about everything you see in this movie is either... An actual event that actually literally happened, or it's something that almost certainly did. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like witnesses say, hey, events like this happen. Like, you know, when they're when they're hanging the guys in the streets with the signs to say, you know, I support the Bolsheviks.
0: Yes. um,
1: You know, or, or shooting people for being, you know, quote unquote deserters, even though they're civilians. All that stuff actually happened in the Battle of Berlin.
0: Yes, and yeah, and much of this, this movie is based on a couple of different books, so it's not just from you know interviews with our girl Trudel here, but also other people who had survived the bunker and went there. So this this is extensively researched, and it was actually fascinating. I think that this movie is a German production. It wasn't like. You know, the U.S. come in and said, hey, let's make a movie about the final days of Hitler. Germany themselves, who doesn't like to talk about this stuff in general, put out this movie. And again, I think it's it's almost kind of an important historical document, which I almost never say about a film, obviously. Yeah. So one thing I kind of noticed, and I, I did look it up. So in the in the film... Hitler kind of has, he has a shaky left hand and he'll kind of walk with it behind his back and it's kind of shaking. Or even if he's sitting at his desk or while he's eating, his left hand is kind of shaking. So I was like looking up, did he have Parkinson's or something like that? And basically what I found is we don't really know. There's actually a whole Wikipedia page dedicated to Hitler's health. Nothing was officially published, so we don't officially know, but it is suspected there's a good chance he might've had Parkinson's, but it's also a good chance he had syphilis. And that he had untreated syphilis for decades that can actually manifest some similar symptoms. The shake of the hand is something I guess that it can be seen in archival footage where he is kind of huh. he is kind of shaking. Another than again not extreme but a more rare disease is there's some speculation that he may have had Huntington's disease as well, which would also have similar symptoms. So it is likely he had some ailment that kind of caused him to have some tremors. But we don't officially know what that was because he was never publicly diagnosed. And it may have been on treatments, though. And some of those treatments themselves could have caused some of his symptoms. And so, yeah, a lot of this is kind of just stuff you've already heard. You know, you kind of even if, you know, even those who don't know much about history kind of are aware that, yeah, Hitler killed himself in a bunker. But we just kind of get this from such a fascinating perspective where you get him talking to the doctors about how to kill himself yeah and the doctor's saying like okay so yeah Ava's going to want to take the cyanide capsule and then you can still shoot her or whatever but you want to go ahead and take your own cyanide capsule before you shoot yourself just in case you know if you miss or something you don't want to make a mess right. of it so basically you ensure the death with the cyanide capsule but then go ahead and shoot yourself and they're having those conversations in the film It's just, again, I don't want to say heartbreaking because you don't feel sorry for Hitler in the movie. And it's not that kind of movie at all. But again, it's a humanizing thing that he was a person who had a heartbeat that he was trying to terminate.
1: It also, it kind of grounds it. You know, when you you read it in a history book or you read it on a Wikipedia page or, you know, you see like a documentary about it, that's one thing. But when you see this dramatization of Hitler sitting down with his doctor talking about, you need to, you know, chew the cyanide capsule, then shoot yourself because if you got the shaky hand, you might miss and just, you know, clip your head and, you, you know, then, you you know, you might just be incapacitated but right. still alive. So that, you know, take the cyanide so you for sure die. It just kind of, like, reminds you, like, this actually happened to an actual person right. who was, you
0: know, evil, but, like, this guy was real. Right, right. He, again, he's not a caricature, which is what I was kind of talking about. And even the little things you always hear, like, the first cyanide capsule they use, I think, is on the dog. Yes. And earlier you kind of see them taking that same dog for a walk and, and it, it's, that was kind of interesting too. So like fairly early on too, they we kind of show and Ava Braun is, was kind of an interesting character where it's almost like, why are you with this guy? Cause she seems kind of very full of life and likes to have fun and is just friendly with everybody and everybody likes her. And Hitler's very much more kind of, you know, off in his own corner doing his own thing. But she's trying to distract everyone. So, like, the war's going on, but they still go up and try to party until, of course, you know, a blast kind of blows their window in and they're forced back under the bunker. But, you know, we see her taking the dog for a walk, and she's friends with the secretaries, including, you know, uh, Trudel. It's just kind of fascinating. But then she, she marries Adolf, and then they kill themselves and that seems kind of interesting too how it happened is he basically you know goes behind the locked door is told he can't be disturbed but then the Goebbels show up and mrs Goebbels is pleading to see him one more time and the the, the officer standing at the door basically says okay fine 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 because it's you i'll go ahead and open the door you know uh uh My fear, my fear, uh, Mrs. Goebbels is out here wanting a word with you. Right. He opens the door. She pleases him for a little bit. Please, you know, don't leave us. Don't leave us. You know, the cause, which is, of course, the, you know, horrible Nazi cause. But, again, these are people who were drinking the Kool-Aid of this whole situation. And then he kind of shoos her away, goes in, and then, like, a few minutes later, you hear the gun blast.
1: Yeah, right. Well, she was trying to get him to leave Berlin. Correct, correct. Because she and... Uh, Joseph Goebbels were planning on fleeing, and she, wanted, she knew that Hitler didn't want to leave the bunker, that he was probably going to commit
0: suicide, so right. she was trying to get him to leave. Right. And then, of course, that leads into, honestly, the worst part of the whole movie and the whole history of this. And, and I- also... Also 100% totally real and definitely happened as well. Yep, because I was hoping that this was a fabrication. And I might cry just saying this, honestly, Logan. Like, so the Goebbels had six children in the bunker with them. And so the mom basically has them initially all drink a, a sedative just to kind of put them to sleep. And the kids just, they started with even the youngest kid, you know, saying she's the brave one. And the oldest daughter, who appears to be, you know, probably 14 or 15, is, you can tell she's a little more aware of what's going on. And she starts crying and trying to, like, tell her mom, I'm not doing it. I'm not going to drink this stuff. I know what you have planned. And they kind of have to f- literally force her to drink it. And so that just kind of puts them to sleep. And then, I don't want to say she's cold-hearted because you can, you can tell it upsets her. But she's just trying to, like she sees it as just kind of a necessity Mrs. Goebbels then goes in while her children are sleeping and slips a cyanide capsule into all six of their mouths and clamps their jaws shut and kills all six of her children because their Nazi cause had failed. It's,
1: you know, she knows, hey, me and Joseph are about to go on the run. We can't take all these kids with us and we can't really leave them here to fend for themselves. So in, in her eyes, she had no other choice but to... Murder all six of her kids.
0: Well, specifically, it was a world in which she she didn't think there was a future where the Nazi cause had failed. Right. That. So again, she was such a Nazi. Yep. And again, I mean that in the most insulting way possible. She was such a Nazi that once they saw the war was going to be a failure, she thought this world and this new world order they were trying to establish had now failed to the point that Earth wasn't worth living on anymore, and didn't want her children to live in it. So did they kill the kids before Hitler died? Or it was after, right? I think it was after. Yeah, okay, that's what I was thinking too. And then they do, they do kill themselves as because, well.
1: Because, because at that point, I think it was wasn't Joseph Goebbels had after Hitler kills himself, he is then he's now the chancellor. True, like, He's now the pure, and he was basically chancellor uh, yeah. for a
0: day and a half before he killed himself. Yeah,
1: right. So uh, yeah,
0: it, it was after,
1: but yeah, and apparently there were like some people who said that it was actually the doctor that murdered the kids. Mm. The doctor that you see um, who who mixes up the morphine. Yes, who basically gave her the stuff, yeah. Right, but a, a lot of the historians say, you know, he might have administered the morphine to the kids to get them to sleep, but it was most likely the, the mother, I forget her first name. Oh, Magda. Yes. Yeah, so uh, it was most likely Magda that killed them all and that they just kind of tried to use the doctor's escape because he just happened to get killed the next day.
0: Oh, uh, okay. But,
1: yeah, another thing that the scene where uh, Helga, the oldest one, struggles yes. and doesn't want to take the morphine, yeah, that's actually backed up by kind of forensic evidence. Ugh. They found bru- they found bruises on her face after she, you know, when they found her when she was dead, which is what led to the speculation that they that she back a little bit. Yeah. And, they, and they had to, yeah, they had to hold onto her head and and give her the the morphine and the cyanide.
0: Oh my gosh. I mean, there's. I mean, she'd be an old woman now. But there's a world where she'd still be alive today.
1: Yeah, she was born in 1932, so oh
0: she'd be. Oh my gosh! Well, there so she yeah, She was 13 then. Yeah, she'd be in her 80s. Yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh, that's crazy. Uh, so, quick I know this is, wasn't something from my research. This is just something from other, you know, other podcasts or YouTube videos I'd seen over the years. Just the pronunciation. We always so there's no R. It, you know, Goebbels is spelled G-O-E-B-B-E-L-S go gobles so my understanding yeah. is and i've heard people kind of like they'll mock why do the americans put an r in it but it's also because we it's not gobles it's i think no. it's like it's like the subtle it's a subtle thing i think it's probably it's, it's probably more like gobles like gobles like it's it's
1: it's, right, it's it's a we make an r as a cheat the way yeah. it is pronounced in english for my understanding is more like good like gobles
0: right right you don't say the full r right it's not it's not Goebbels. Yeah. Goebbels Ger- is, a, is a gross anglicization or anglicization. How do you ever really say that? But I think it's still just as accurate as, as saying it's more accurate than saying Goebbels. And, and that wouldn't be accurate either. Yes. So without saying it with right. some uh, accent or trying to replicate what the actual German pronunciation is, we're going to get it wrong. So just know that we're aware of it. I think it's similar to like when we talk about the Weimar Republic. It's not Weimar Republic. It's not Weimar Republic. It's somewhere in between because it's German. Right. And we just don't say it right. So, sorry.
1: (laughs) And again, we can do example after example. But like, you know, when they talk about the Wehrmacht. Yes. That starts with a W also. It's just a different pronunciation because it's a
0: different language. Right, right. So, we're kind of aware of those things and also not particularly educated in them. So, there you go. And while we're on Goebbels here, he was kind of the propaganda guy. That's kind of his place in history, seems to be kind of the Nazi and Hitler's uh, propaganda guy. He was just kind of, you know, always good with public speaking and very good at using film and radio and stuff like that that we need to remember was new at the time. So just kind of like now you have, you know, Russian bots or whatever using social media Goebbels was really good at that back when news, uh, radio and film were kind of a, a new medium. And he was kind of an early master to use that to help spread propaganda.
1: Which they actually, in in the movie Inglorious Bastards, which is obviously not at all historically accurate, it's <laughs> you know, but Goebbels is a character in that movie. And they, I think, do a good job of showing, you know, how he's... You know, he was very invested in like filmmaking and obviously specifically propaganda filmmaking in Nazi Germany in the
0: 30s and 40s. Yes, yes. So, yeah, so let's let's actually then get into, again, I'm just going to keep calling her Trudel because you'll remember the name and f- no one's going to stop us. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, some people are trying to, there's kind of a debate within the bunker of who's going to just stay and know they're going to die and who's actually going to try to get out. Some people, you know, with the with the officers, it's almost kind of maybe a point of pride to die. Some want to get out of there, but they're all kind of telling the secretaries, hey, you all should go. Like, seriously, there's no reason you're not directly involved with our crimes. You need to get out and save yourselves. And Trudel definitely wants to live. And so when people are starting to escape, she joins in with that group. And tries to make her way out, and they kind of dress them up as soldiers, so they kind of get past some initial lines. They know the Soviets are going to be basically walking through town, and then they kind of once they kind of realize, oh crap, we can't escape the Soviets dressed as soldiers. But hey, women and children just walk on past them. Just let you know, just show that you're you're a, you're a woman. Show that you're a child. They'll just let you pass. And that that is ultimately what what happens here is that Trudel just kind of. Walks on by. She, I mean, she still has like her hat on or whatever. But it's obviously that she's a woman, and the Russians just kind of like, you know, just kind of nod their heads, and she just walks on by. And the movie yep. just kind of implies that that's just kind of the end. But yeah. she was actually taken into custody at, at one point in real life. I, I mean, she wasn't tried or anything, but but she she was she was arrested, but didn't really get in big trouble here. Let's see. She was uh, arrested by Soviet military and kept in Berlin for interrogation. And so this is interesting, too. While she was in Russian custody, she started hearing stories from the Russian guards about all the atrocities that the Germans had you know, committed on their family and throughout Europe. Because these are probably like the same guys that had just marched through Poland. Right, right. And had seen
1: like Auschwitz.
0: Yeah. So that's when she first started becoming aware of what exactly had gone on. And again, so they don't have a lot of details about her. Like, I couldn't even find if she had kids or not or anything, but... Uh, so it, it was kind of neat to see the actual person in this movie, which is from 2004, so it's already, man, it's crazy, it's already 15 years old, and she did die, actually, right around the time the movie came out. Two years
1: before, it looks like, because the movie came out in 2004, right? She died in 2002.
0: Oh, true, true. Yeah, so they had filmed those clips of her, but then, yeah, you're right, she died before the movie, and the quote here I thought was kind of interesting and worth worth repeating is because, she, again, she basically died right after recording these interviews and said, now that I've let go of my story, I can let go of my life and then die shortly thereafter. So oh, wow. She, she definitely regretted her role as, a, I don't want to say the word innocent, but as, as small a role as she played, she kind of never forgave herself for it when she learned what had actually happened. So uh, Downfall was nominated for Best Foreign Film but did not win. It lost to The Sea Inside with... Javier Bardem.
1: Oh, I've seen that. That's a that's a really good movie. Which is a very which is a very good movie. Yes. So that that I understand that I can live with.
0: Yeah, and I, so I would argue. I would still argue that Downfall is more important. But again, like we said, it is yes. kind of a tough
1: watch. Well, the scene inside, thats the—he's uh, a quadriplegic, right? Doesn't that deal with doctor? Yeah,
0: and, it, and it's a true story too. Yeah, and so the sea inside is an eighty-four percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and Downfall. Is at 90%. So, yeah, just both solid movies. I would say it's, it's a situation where Downfall probably wins. Seven years out of ten, it just kind of happened to be up against a really good one with with the C inside. Yeah. So, I'm actually not going off Wikipedia here for my notes on Hitler. I watched a couple of YouTube videos instead. I kind of wanted to do... I didn't want to go super in-depth with Hitler here. I just wanted to kind of give him a, a superficial rundown here but but kind of an all-encompassing one so basically the simple simple version for hitler is so he was born in austria but he's he's in a part of austria that has german ethnic ties so it's kind of like right on the german border and a lot of people that live in this part of austria kind of see themselves as german and so there was a push at the time when hitler was young like even like grade school age high school age there's this kind of push for pro-german nationalism pride and again this is pre-world war one but the idea that germans as a people should maybe be together under one country and there's you know there's certain people that may want austria to unite and be part of germany again as kind of one big ethnic group so again that's all already kind of in the zeitgeist pre-world war one um and then as he gets into high school and out of high school he definitely kind of becomes a bit of a conspiracy theorist who's kind of obsessed with the idea of ethnic purity and that German nationalism idea is still there. And he kind of starts buying into ideas that, again, still pre-World War I, the idea that, you know, certain groups are better than others and anti-Semitism is already there. In And in, uh, he's just kind of, but he's also kind of a not a layabout. He's you know, This is where he's kind of in that, that artist time where he's, you know, the failed artist Hitler. That's him pre-World War I and just kind of a oh kind of a misanthrope himself who just had some crazy ideas and he's darn near homeless then world war one happens and hitler enlists because he's in his early 20s and doesn't have anything else going on in his life so he enlists to help the german war effort as a proud german and kind of loves it so even though you have the you have the horrors of world war one Hitler started feeling like he was in his elements, because he felt like he was fighting for something. So when the Germans lose, he's definitely part of the group that finds that loss devastating. And, again, being a conspiracy theorist, when the theories and stories out there are starting to blame communists and Jews within Germany for Germany's loss, he's eaten that stuff up as, yep... That's for darn sure why we lost. It's the darn commies and Jews are the reason we lost. And he was kind of a natural speaker. So he'll kind of go on rants and bars and just kind of be always that guy that's talking in the corner about how horrible the Jews and the commies are. And then the Nazi party kind of becomes the prominence. So, of course, that's right up his alley. So, of course, he joins them. And they kind of blew up between so in the, in the 1928 German elections, the Nazi Party basically got a trivial amount of votes within the larger swath of the Weimar Republic. But then by 1932, just four years later, they had gotten the most votes and were now the most powerful party in Germany in just a four-year span. And we kind of already talked about in cabaret kind of the role they had. So just kind of know that Hitler is part of all of that. And then he loses. He's kind of the leader in the party, obviously by this point. And he loses the main election, but the political pressure kind of forces the, oh, I think they actually even called it the president. Uh, They do name Hitler chancellor. And shortly thereafter, that's when you get to the Night of the Long Knives, where basically the the Nazis and Hitler go through and just assassinate all their political enemies. Like 200 people around the country who are anti-Nazi party within Germany get murdered and right. basically and they basically then you know, you have the Reichstag fire and all this kind of stuff and they kind of just create this chaos during which Hitler is able to get himself named dictator and as you're getting into the yeah so 3334 you now have Hitler as dictator of Germany
1: you you mentioned the uh, the Reichstag fire they, that was a, a
0: fire at the basically the parliament building right and they yes that yeah the Reichstag is the famous the the still the current government building in Germany there and even though,
1: and even though there was no evidence for it, then they they blamed the fire, they said that it was like communists arsonists. Right. It's, it's,
0: it's yeah, it's always the Jews. Yeah, always blaming the Jews and the commies. Yep. But it was it was likely. I mean. Oh yeah, I'm sure they did it themselves, kind of thing. Yeah. So that that's basically what set it up, and then and then of course, and again, it's all just this hyper nationalism. They they were they were fascists and... So, yes, once they're kind of in power, it kind of then, you know, comes to a head where, you know, by 1939, they're invading Poland and rounding up the Jews. Because, again, this goes back to pre-World War One that he was already seeing the the Jews as this plague on society and and the idea of yeah. a pure Aryan race, which, again, is mentioned in the movie that when he and Abel, Abel Braun are married the bureaucrat kind of overseeing the ceremony there kind of feels sheepish that he's asking Hitler himself are you of the pure Aryan race because I kind of can't marry you unless you say so right it's just because like "Uh, sorry these are your rules but I feel awkward (laughs) saying them to you yeah yeah that's it, it is kind of like interesting in
1: the worst possible way the way that You know, Adolf Hitler and the Nazis kind of blended the ideas of fascism and nationalism and specifically like white supremacist, you know, ethno nationalism and eugenics and just kind of all all kind of came together in the in the worst way possible.
0: I want to just kind of in very broad strokes here, kind of summarize the European theater in general and kind of how it comes to a close. So you have Russia slowly but persistently causing issues for Germany on the eastern front. And everyone else on the West, not being really much of a threat on the continent, they can just kind of, you know, bomb Britain and kind of hold them off that way until you then get D-Day in June of 44, which now makes it a more earnest ground two-front war for Germany. And then it kind of becomes this race over the course of the next year between Russia on the East and France, Britain, and the U.S. on the West almost a race to Berlin. And Germany puts up a heck of a fight. I mean, it it does take, you know, almost a year from D-Day. And then Russia actually gets to Berlin first by being very, very aggressive coming from the east and even trying to encircle Berlin before ultimately taking the Reichstag and raising the Russian flag on the Reichstag. And a ton happened right there within one month here at the very end on all sides. So Roosevelt dies on April 12th, Mussolini is killed on April 28th, Hitler kills himself on April 30th, and then by May 8th the German surrender is official and the Allies can turn their attention to finishing up with Japan. And this is actually something that
1: kind of ties into both the imitation game and downfall is kind of the writing on the wall that everybody saw that the the Americans and the Brits, you know, were going to be at odds with the USSR, you know, this kind of East versus West thing setting up for the Cold War that basically shapes the rest of the 20th century. Because in, you know, obviously in this, you know, you, they, they have the, the Americans and the Russians racing to Berlin and then an imitation game. And they say, oh, well, even though we crack this code, like nobody can know. We can't tell the Russians, even though they're our allies. We have this knowledge that, you know, we don't want them to know because, you know, even though they're on our side in this war, they might not be in the next one kind of thing.
0: So, yeah, I think that kind of will close out the European side of World War Two and but we will continue with the pacific theater next week in letters from iwo jima